0: Sup guys, welcome to With All Your Mind, my name is Tom Amos and today I'm going to be thinking about the dangers of telling people what to think. So, welcome aboard, here we are for episode 5 and I hope you're doing well. It's a really lovely sunny day in Redding, California. Turns out, during the summer, it's super sunny and super hot every single day. It's a little bit like a sauna in my recording studio slash bedroom, so I've actually taken to recording this reasonably late at night so that it's a little cooler and a bit more bearable to be in here for a long period of time. So anyway, kind of moving on to what I want to talk about today, I'm going to talk a little bit about control and talk a bit about, as I've said in the title of this, the dangers of telling people what to think or maybe stifling people's ability to think for themselves. And this is coming out of a context. I have been doing a few episodes just to start this podcast off by talking about how we think about things well, how we form opinions and express those opinions And then when we potentially come into disagreement in expressing those opinions, how we can avoid demonizing the other side, but coming to other people with the priority for connection and unity and wanting to understand rather than just saying, I want your support or your silence. And apart from those two things, I'm not interested in what you have to say. And I'd love to recommend you go back and listen to some of those episodes if you haven't heard them so far. Because I think they're potentially helping to create a really good context for some of the things that I want to say. In this particular episode, I anticipate that it might be a little more provocative in places. It will probably share a little more of my opinion. And that's fine. The further we go down this road, the more that I want to share some of what I think. I'm going to be hoping to bring people in, some of whom will be people I agree with on certain things, some people who maybe I disagree with on certain things, but still really love and have a good connection with. And as we go down this road, it's helpful to have the context for the sort of discussion that I want to create in your head. So you know at what angle or what lens I'm coming at. Because it's very easy in this day and age to kind of misinterpret what someone is saying or to demonise it. And I'd like to avoid that where possible. So that's my little pitch for the previous episodes on this show. But if not, I hope you enjoy this one. So with that, I guess we'll just get on with it. So today I want to talk for a little bit about abortion. I'm not particularly wanting to get into a full discussion about abortion at this stage. Most of the things that should be said have been said by one side or the other. And I do find it a particularly challenging subject to think about and to hear perspectives from both sides, because quite honestly, both sides have challenged me. And one reason is is that I think the issue of abortion brings up a hotbed of ethical grey areas where often one side is totally convinced of one thing and the other side is completely convinced of something else and passionately so. One side you have people who would make abortion illegal or certainly reduce a lot of the things that are allowed within this area. Often that comes out of a passion for the sanctity of life and for life being protected, particularly if unborn children are living and sentient. And then on the other hand, you have people who are very passionate about women's rights being protected and choices being protected and realizing that historically, sometimes those things have been disallowed and women have been abused as a result. I feel that sometimes the, the two arguments kind of miss each other. And one reason for that is, I think, potentially because of the language that is used. So instead of having the anti-abortion camp and the pro-abortion camp, we have the pro-life camp and the pro-choice camp. And I think the problem with this is that both camps are trying to emphasise that they are for something good. So take pro-life, for example. To say that I am pro-life, to an extent, implies that the person who argues against me is not, and that they are anti-life. And I think in some ways this is a little troubling, because there's a hot debate over what a foetus is, at what point life begins, is it definitely at conception, is it not, and whatever I think about the issue, it's clear that a lot of people think and feel very differently about this, and to tell them that they are anti-life, or at least imply that with my language, to an extent will misrepresent them. Because there are plenty of issues where somebody who would be for abortion would be totally against other things that would jeopardize life. But on the other hand, you might find someone who labels themselves as pro-life, who would then also be for the right to bear arms, would be for their country going to war, or maybe would be for the death penalty. And in all these cases, there's a very high potential that life could be ended. So I think this language is trying to convey something in order to illegitimize the other side, but through doing that, in some ways I feel, makes a bit of a mockery of the point. I could say the same thing about people who are pro-choice. It can imply that those who are arguing against their point actually are just controlling and want to take people's right to choice. And yet, if I was, let's say... An extreme version, I was arguing that it was okay for me to choose to rape somebody or choose to commit genocide. And again, some people who are against abortion would say that abortion is genocide. If I were to say these things and you were to say, no, you can't do that, it would be ridiculous of me to say, you're just against me making choices. There's an extent to which society is about taking away some choices, or at least taking away the legality of some choices in order to create a healthy society for all. My point within all of this is to say that when you create language of, I am just for this really good thing, what you're saying is, you are not for this really good thing. In fact, maybe you're even against it. And when you do that, what you do is you create this conversation which becomes pretty divided and polarised, in which one side is absolutely convinced that they're right and the other side is absolutely convinced that they're right and they don't really hear each other. And then what you get is people flinging assertion at each other instead of valuing education. That's my point for today is we need to value education over assertion. Education, this word to me means asking questions reading and listening to evidence and letting it settle with you. It means hearing somebody's point of view without trying to come up with the way that you're going to prove that they're wrong before you've really processed what they've said. Education is about sharing information and perspective and listening to it and allowing it to sink in and whirl around before coming up with a response. I feel like If the two sides in this particular argument were able to come together and put a value for connection and unity and understanding one another and all of those good things, there's hope for us in pretty much every other conversation. And that's kind of why I brought it up. My point here is if we're going to value education and not just asserting our point and saying that it's right and I won't listen to anybody else... How do we go about that well? I think the difficulty is, is, that to an extent, education does create an environment of control and that isn't always bad. So, for instance, if I'm walking down the pavement with my three-year-old, let's say, and we need to cross a road, I will hold that child's hand and there's no way I'm going to let it go. And to an extent, I'm controlling the child in that moment. But the reason I'm doing that is for their good, because at the moment, they don't have the capability of perceiving space and time around them well enough to be able to cross that road without there being a high risk of them getting hit by a car. But as their judgment increases, so let's say they're now 12 years old or 15 years old, if I'm still insisting on holding their hand and not letting them go, I might have the physical capability of preventing them from moving from me, but I'm not going to develop their ability to be able to do a basic skill for themselves, to cross the road. And you would, at that point, be pretty disturbed by me. And that's kind of how education works as well, is that we're creating an environment that is safe around people but the aim isn't to keep them there it's to push them into a place where they can think for themselves and i think the problem is is that sometimes in education we try too hard to keep people who we have authority over under the circle of our protection of our opinions or our way of doing things for fear that as soon as they leave that nest or leave that bubble they will begin to become corrupted by all the outside influences that will tell them something different and actually outside influences that tell you something different is one of the most essential things you need because you constantly need to be able to reassess and reevaluate what you stand for and assure yourself that it's actually right i think this can manifest in a few different ways i find it interesting when we look at schooling systems for instance there's seems to be a bit of a resistance in a lot of places, particularly middle class or wealthier families, to send their children to state school. I think again, through fear that the education isn't good enough or that there'll be corrupting influences in those places. So instead you find more and more children becoming homeschooled, sent to religious schools, sent to private school, and I to an extent understand it. But I think something we need to understand is that children are incredibly vulnerable. I mean, when I was a child, I repeated everything that my parents said. I remember there was this one time when there were these two twins at my church and they were lovely, did loads of babysitting, super nice. And my mum made one comment once about one of them and it was along the lines of her having done something that was a little rude or impolite. I can't really remember, but I was about three years old at the time. So in my three-year-old brain... I interpreted the comment she was making as there was a good twin and an evil twin. And then I went and thought, well, my mum believes this is true. My mum has this opinion, so I I basically had the opinion as well. And there was this time when the twins were upsetting me for some reason. I can't remember why. I was young and silly. So I just said to them, my mum says that you're the good twin and you're the evil twin. And really went off on this evil twin and if you ever happen to be listening to this and recognize yourself in the story i'm really sorry my mum didn't think you were evil and neither do i but the point is to say is that children repeat so many things that their parents tell them and how often do you find that children grow up kind of with all the same opinions it's it's pretty common And therefore, how do we get to a point of allowing them to develop, to start to think for themselves? Or let's say you're in a church or you're in some other kind of position of power. How do you bring about this ability to express passionately and with conviction the things that you believe without communicating that the people who are listening to you have to believe that too? Otherwise, there is something really wrong with them or they can't be connected to you in some way I think one thing that maybe we need to start doing more of is instead of saying it is this say what do you think it is and why there was a pastor that I used to like to listen to and he had a example with his kids where he would sometimes watch movies with them which were a little too old for them or would have some disturbing or difficult themes within the story and the reason he did this wasn't to freak them out it's because then once the movie had finished he'd say all right so now that's over what did you guys think of it what was problematic about it or what was wrong with it and then where do you think jesus has an answer for that and he was again just trying to educate his kids in thinking about things for themselves i think it's Incredibly important that we bring people as early as possible into this idea that they can start to think about things for themselves and they can start bringing their own minds to the table. I think it's a natural instinct to want to shield children or anyone that you're responsible for from evil, but ultimately it's a fruitless task and it takes away freedom of thought, which assists us to have wisdom in making good choices. I mean, the simple fact is just that we can't shelter people from danger forever. Eventually, they get exposed to the things that you fear they'll be exposed to. And without given the proper opportunity, things can go super bad. So, I mean, again, when I went to university, it was interesting because most of us in that place found ourselves exposed to things for the first time. Or at least exposed to things where there was no accountability anymore. Where we could make our own decisions and we'd just fall in our own bed at the end of the day rather than into our parents' house. And I remember I had one friend particularly who had had quite a, I guess, strict upbringing. Had gone to boarding school and when they started to get involved with drinking culture, they went pretty hard and were pretty ridiculously drunk and had a pretty pretty wild lifestyle for a little while and I think that's a stereotype that you find actually exists again and again and again that people become exposed to something that they were shielded from and they go wild on it and from this can become things like alcoholism, drug addiction and all these things often it's just casual partying for a little while and then you find that it's all kind of pointless and you step back from it. But that's not always the case. I find, particularly when I look at Christian kids coming into the world, the danger we have is that when we completely shield them from being exposed to what the world really thinks, what the world really believes, and the fact that there are some things that Christians hold really dearly that many in the world will not hold so dearly to. You could take abortion as an example. Usually you just do one or two things. You either succumb to the world, and there is a huge amount of statistics to suggest that millennials and Gen Zs are, particularly around the ages of kind of 16 to 21, just falling by the wayside and leaving the church and leaving the faith of their parents... But then, actually, the alternative sometimes is even worse, is that they get into the world, they see all these things they don't like, and they just start condemning it and throwing flames at it. And in that case, often we don't represent Jesus much as we represent Jesus the jerk, who hates everybody. And you don't have to read your Bible for too long to realise that Jesus is not the jerk that many of us sometimes make him out to be. But the problem is is that the people we represent Jesus to are not going to go and read the Bible and discover that he's not the jerk that we're representing him to be. And again, that's why I think assertion is so dangerous because although Jesus was pretty sure of himself in many of the things he said in the Bible, part of that, I think, was he was the son of God. And I think part of that was we've got to recognise other things about him, such as the fact that it took 30 years for him to start a ministry, such as the fact that he often spent time with people who were nothing like him, with women, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, sinners, and actually the people who were most like him, who had been brought up to be like him the most, the religious elite, they were the ones he challenged the most. Because he knew where they were coming from, he'd watched them grow up for years. And yet, many people from other walks of life, he came to with complete sympathy and wanting to understand. And I believe that it's vital that we learn to do the same thing. And education doesn't mean that when you educate yourself on someone's opinion, you suddenly agree with it. It means that you understand why they have that opinion, and you're able to understand how you can connect with them, how you can explain yourself better and where, if possible, the two of you can start bringing the things you care about together to make a change that is lasting, and in some ways, helps both. That's the goal. It's not always possible, but when it is, that's the aim, and if we just assert our opinion constantly, we won't get there. We won't give people the chance to get there with us. The church is told in the Bible that we are the light of the world. Jesus was not afraid to go into dark places because he had the strength of will and the conviction of purpose to not compromise the things that he held valuable. So in the same way, instead of bringing, let's say again, taking the children example, bringing children up to just hold to the value of my parents said this, so it's true. So if you take the example of the evil twin, eventually I stopped believing that that twin was evil. I mean, partly it was because mum told me that's not right but I would have got there on my own. There's plenty of people now, or plenty of things that my mum doesn't like or isn't sure about, but I think are fine. I mean, take take movies for an example. I am a passionate lover of movies, and so is my mum, and it devastates her because there's many of these classic older films that she tried to get me to watch when I was younger, and I wasn't really that interested. I do kind of feel guilty about it because sometimes I was a bit too stubbornly interested in what I wanted to watch. But there were definitely things that I loved to watch, certainly some of the more violent or dark or scary movies, and my mum was pretty opposed to them. But it's interesting because she never stopped me. She would tell me, hey, I don't love it that you watch this kind of movie. But I was never punished for it, even when I snuck out of the house and watched it at a friend's house because I wasn't allowed to in my own house, she was pretty well aware I was doing that and it was never a punishment. And I remember one time, actually, I brought home a copy of Saw 3 and I was about 14 years old at the time and I think I'd asked Dad to help me do something with it on the computer and Dad was looking over and he just was like, I'm just going to watch a bit of this movie and he came to me and said... Hey Tom, I watched some of that movie last night and it really shocked me. It actually really shocked me and I was surprised because someone who values this thing and this thing and this thing, I was surprised that you found that to be entertainment. And that really challenged me because he was appealing to the person he knew that I was. He wasn't just saying, I hated this so you should hate it. And then what this started doing is it started making me think to myself, Who am I? Not who are my parents, because my parents aren't forcing me to conform to who they are. They're not saying we value this, so you should value this. Instead, they were saying because of who you are, we want to know why you value that and if you should. And to me, that was education. It was asking questions. It was being and I kept as a result, I kept them in the process because I valued what they had to say. And an example years later is me and my sister, both in our mid-twenties, there was a movie that came out in the theatres that my mum was very opposed to us watching and said so, and said she would really well if we didn't go and watch it. And I guess if we had, she'd have probably been a little upset, but there wouldn't have been a huge consequence, I don't think. But, I mean, we were both adults, but the point is, is that we both went, because we value our mum's feelings and thoughts and we've gone through this process of understanding with one another we both chose independently without a second thought that we would not watch that movie and all our friends went to see it and neither of us did and i think that's the point we want to get our kids to is that they're saying because i value you i value how you feel and although i don't have to believe slash do this thing i want to and it's not saying go and manipulate people. It's actually saying make them free. And often they will find out who they really are. And they will live by their convictions and their values. Whilst if their convictions and values are my pastor or my parent or my teacher told me to believe this. So I'm sticking to it. They'll just find another pastor. They'll just find another parent figure. And the thing that is alluring will conquer them. If we want to be the true light in the darkness as the church... We need to learn how to face our fears and conquer them. If we don't do that, they will continue to haunt us. I just want to, just for the last few minutes, just ask, how do we prevent having this atmosphere of control? How do we prevent ourselves from asserting things to people without allowing them to go and be free and to discover who they are for themselves and to value being educated? How do we do this? Well, I think it comes in four stages. The first stage is exposure. It's a part of the human experience that we are exposed to bad things. The Bible says not if you suffer, but when you suffer. Any human being on the planet will tell you that life involves suffering. It involves things happening which are bad. In the classic story of Siddhartha Katama, the guy who became the Buddha, is the story of how he was kind of locked up in the palace, not locked up, but he was in the palace, shielded from the world, and he goes out one day and sees evil for the first time. He sees sickness and death and poverty, and it really challenges him, and he hates it so much that he decides he has to understand how we can be rid of these things. And... Through the things that he goes on to discover and to become enlightened by, he becomes the Buddha and he is the person who is accredited to having founded Buddhism. Although I don't agree with all of the principles and morals and philosophies of Buddhism, there's something to be said about that story of you've got to allow people to be exposed to things and you've got to allow them to understand what they hate for themselves, not just tell them, don't go out, for instance, and get drunk because it's really bad. Some of us, unfortunately, have to learn from experience. And experience doesn't mean it for ourselves. Sometimes you experience someone else make a dumb decision and go, I don't think I'm going to make that one. kind of wish I'd done that. Anyway, the second stage, conversation. A two-way conversation where we ask questions, where you say not just, it is this. You go, why do you think this is? Why did you do that? What do you value about this? You start to get into the mindset and you start to say, you are like this. I value you because I see these amazing things about you and it makes me wonder why you value this so much. It calls out the gold and it seeks to understand how someone with so much gold might believe something that you believe has quite a lot of dirt or is doing something that you believe has quite a lot of dirt so it's two-way ask questions through that empowerment the third stage imagine if a child could grasp just how powerful they are over their own decisions and their compassion if if a child could do that if a child you could trust them to go into any environment and any atmosphere and they would go in knowing who they were being powerful over their decisions and able to bring their experiences back to you to process through and learn from how much more powerful would an adult be who had had that experience as a child so many kids keep things from their parents keep secrets when people are made free to go out and experience we empower them and often even if it takes a little bit of time That empowerment is respected. When I was a teenager, I had no respect for my parents and their methods. But now I see just how much they were empowering me to be powerful over my own decisions. They let me make a butt-ton of terrible decisions throughout my life. But they were always there to pick up the pieces and talk through how it could have gone better. Not in a patronising way, but a how do you feel, how can we help, what do you want next? And I so appreciate it now. It was really vital. And the fourth example in all this is example. How are you living? Because, as I said, children are impressionable. So, if you're a pastor or a parent or a teacher or a leader in some capacity and there are people under you, they will listen not only to your words, but they will look to see if your example matches it. And if it doesn't, one of two things will happen they will never respect your words. Or they will fully copy your bad example. So which one is it going to be? I mean, I love how Paul says to his followers, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It challenges me. He was so confident that the life he was living was so fully Christ-like that anyone could watch him live and see Christ in him and want to live exactly the same way. So the people, for instance, that you speak badly of, your followers will speak badly of too. The bad things that you do, your followers may well do that too. And if they don't, it will be worse. They'll stop listening to you. And you'll lose that voice that you have in their life to be able to bring influence and wisdom. We just can't, we can't just tell people what to think. Instead, we must help them to learn how to think. This comes through challenging experiences. It comes through challenging relationships and challenging conversations. It comes through being told, I don't think you're right, or this upset me, or this is a bad thing. It's through seeing and smelling it and feeling it for yourself and then learning through it. All of these things come at a cost, but they're worth it. And as we allow ourselves to go through this exposure into conversation... Into being empowered or empowering others and speaking out or living out a good example. As we go through those stages, we will encourage freedom in thinking and we will encourage unity and connection with everybody else around us, no matter how opposed they are to the things we believe in our minds. So at the end of the day, when we believe something, we have to be able to express it. There's nothing worse than expressing a lie through fear that others will hate you. So we have to understand that when others express truth in their heads to us, that we find repugnant or we don't agree with, it's not because they're horrible people, it's because they're trying to be authentic. And therefore we need to learn why they feel that way, so we can speak into it with passion and compassion, rather than just assertion. And it starts at the home. It starts in the way that we educate one another. It starts in the way that we try and educate those who we have influence over. If we can't do this well with our captive audience, we're never going to do this well with the people who don't see why they should ever have to listen to us. And that's about all I've got to say. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. I hope it's been really valuable and... Hey, I really, really appreciate having feedback from you guys. I've loved having some messages and encouragements from those of you who've given that. Thank you so much. If you do happen to have any feedback for me, I'd really love to hear it. You can email me on withallyourmind1 at gmail.com. Or you can message me on either my Facebook page withallyourmind or my Instagram with All Your mind with underscores between the words... And if you're enjoying the show, I'd also really love it if you could potentially go and tell a friend, share it with your family, maybe go and find my show on iTunes and give it a positive rating and a review or on Facebook. As you do that, that just helps to expose some of the things I'm saying to a slightly wider audience and hopefully, if the things I'm saying are valuable, it would be valuable for others to hear it too. So... Thank you so much for your help in doing that. Really appreciate it. You guys are the best. And just remember for now that not everything I say is 100% certified fact. But it is something to think about. And something to think about with all your mind. See so you guys have a good week. Bye!